gentlemen, you are both drunk on cosmic wine. Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Mark Sylvester. And I'm Dr. Richard Schulman. This, this is, is All Psych. And we're live with episode 632 and a 4,812 episode series known as The Non-Ordinary Mind. Well, there's a lot of non-ordinary mind out there, you know. Mine is non-ordinary. Neither is mine. Before we get started with Kundalini and Chi, sir, please indulge us with the mental wealth tip of the day. The mental wealth tip of the day has to do with post-traumatic stress. There are three ways that we can get post-traumatic stress. One is a catastrophe, a one-shot deal, plane crash, you're in it, you start having symptoms of post-traumatic stress, nightmares, you're getting triggered, um, all that kind of stuff. The second is where there's a serious event that happens repeatedly, but there's a gap in time. Like let's say you're a soldier, you go into battle, there may be seven or eight days before there's another battle. There may be a month, who knows? But the third way is a way that doesn't quite make the, text, the textbooks, but I've just seen it. And that's something that, ha that may not be sort of counted as a life-threatening event, but is very emotionally threatening and happens every day, like living in an alcoholic family, living with an abusive uh, spouse, um, Something happens every day, you're constantly on guard. People will have similar symptoms of post-traumatic stress under those conditions. So don't discount post-traumatic stress just because you haven't been in a plane crash. And that's the mental wealth tip of the day. And that is a, that's the wealth tip of making me mental today. I'm glad that something is like interesting for you. I think this is going to be a light, fun little show. It's on uh, compare, contrast a little bit of Kundalini versus Chi. Of course, you, you, mean, you mean a light, a light show about the evolutionary energy in humans, huh? <laughs> yeah, just scratching the surface. I like it. Okay, that works. Um, but you know, in Hinduism, Kundalini uh, refers loosely translated as the coiled snake in a form of divine feminine energy, which is believed to be at the base of the spine. Um, I always think of it as kind of like uh, energy will always find its lowest state in the absence of external influence, you know, forces. So, you know, whether that's electrons in the outer shell, they will always fa fall to what they call wells or the lowest energy level that kind of locks them in. And it seems to me like, I always thought Kundalini came in through the top and then just sort of settled low. And maybe it does originally when it's first animated the, the meat bag that uh, I refer to as myself, but it sits quiet dormant at the base of the spine in a lower energy state. Um, and a lot of people associate it with religious, it's a type of a religious experience uh, within, again, the Hindu tradition, um, which it's held to be kind of this cosmic energy. Um, it accumulates, like I said, at the, at the base of the spine, more specifically, the sacral and, and ultimately, fundamentally, at the coccyx, the tiny, our tiny little tailbone is kind of where it's thought to have its furthest reach, energetically speaking, in our body. 
Um, what do you know about the Kundalini? What can I know you spell it? Can I spell it? Um, I can spell it out. I was introduced to it um, out of necessity. It wasn't, it wasn't a patient. It was a friend of mine, a woman, a, a body therapist I used to work with. She started having these really odd symptoms. They looked like psychosis, but she wasn't psychotic. Um, she was really in so many ways grounded, started telling me and she would say, well, you know, she called me up one and she says, I'm on the floor in my house having a baby only, you know, I'm not pregnant, you know, things like that. And this is a very, very grounded person. So I started looking things up and I bumped into this thing called Kundalini. And as I started reading it, the symptoms, it's not a disease, of course, but the, the signs, let's say, of it almost perfectly match what my friend was going through. It was actually a spiritual emergence. Now, if she had gone to just about any other American trained psychiatrist or psychologist, they would have slapped her in the hospital and loaded her up with uh, antipsychotics. But she went through the process and it, it really uh, caused a great flowering in her own spirituality, her own life. Now, luckily, that was the first one and I learned about it because the other cases that I've come across have been far more, shall we say, dangerous. The symptomatology looks crazy. People do really odd things, have very odd experiences. I, I read everything I could get on it. There was one book that was really um, changed the way I thought. There were two really. One was called Living with Kundalini by Gopi Krishna. The other was Kundalini for the West, I think, by Lee Sanella. Sanella was an MD physician who, like, like I did, he bumped into this and started looking for what could possibly explain what he was seeing. And the sad part is, is this is really a beautiful energy. It's a healing energy. But if you jam somebody full of antipsychotics, they'll get stuck. It blocks that energy. Yeah. Absolutely blocks the energy. And uh, I've had several patients whom only because I knew that this wasn't necessarily a garden variety psychosis, because there are, there are telltale signs of, of a psychosis um, that are is not Kundalini energy, you know, even though, for example, Gopi Krishna would, he wound up speaking languages he didn't know. He would write poetry when he had never written poetry before. Some of the, some of the tells, by the way, um, people hearing buzzing in their heads, seeing lights, a bruising in the, in the, um, the right big toe. I think it was the right big toe. I can't remember if it was the right or left, but I think it was the right. These, when there's no injury, these are signs that the energy is activated. And you know, in places like India, where they where they know they know about this, they'll prepare for the Kundalini activation for 25 years, meditating yoga. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, Gopi Krishna himself was a meditator, but even he didn't know what was going on, and there was nobody who was telling him. Uh, his wife actually nursed him through this lovingly. He would try to ground by. Um, 
eating heavy. And it's interesting <clears throat> now that I think about it, the first time that I ever came in contact with it, I didn't know what it was. There was a guy that, that I knew in college and, and he, he was doing all kinds of breathing exercises and I had already graduated, but I was only gone a couple of months. And this guy from the university called me and he says, well, so-and-so said that you would know about this, described all these symptoms. And I didn't know about it. I just said, well, maybe he should eat heavy, you know, stop the meditating for a little bit and try to ground. Now, when I work with people who I, I suspect are going through this process, I try to get them to ground um, because it's the only way to really dampen the energy. Now, there are exercises, a whole branch of yoga called Kundalini Yoga. In fact, Kali Dastos Kundalini Yoga. And they have a whole technology about how you work with the energy. And, and it's quite beautiful. Maybe someday we'll get, get her to talk about it. Um, but this is a healing energy in it. And it, when it's mistaken for either a psychotic energy or physical symptoms that no one can explain, you block it, you block the spiritual evolution of the person and the symptoms don't go away. Now, is this thing always, uh, well, not always, but typically asleep, kind of like we said, the lowest energy state in the <laughs> average schmo walking around in fear and terror in the uh, planet Earth 2021 scape? Yes, but I, I have a feel, well, Stan Groff, who was an LSD researcher, and we've talked some a bit about Groff in the past, um, he wrote a book called Spiritual Emergence, Spiritual Emergency, okay, where he, he details many of the things that you and I are already talking about here today. Um, Groff's idea is that we have to delineate between spiritual emergence, spiritual emergency, and if, as psychologists and psychiatrists, and if you, um, if you go back to the idea that, okay, it's, it's coiled in the, at the base of the spine. And in India, they'll, they know that it exists. So they work towards the, the mindful un, unfolding of it. In the West, it gets activated by heavy trauma, car crashes, sexual trauma, drug use. Um, we don't have it in a mindful way, but mm. if you, there are certain things that I look for, you know, in this, and, and it's kind of, you know, psych, psychotherapy 101. I see if the patient can look me in the eye. They can't look me in the eye, then it's probably a psychosis, not just Kundalini. And I don't believe that, that all mental health is, you know, somehow a, a message from the gods. Sometimes there's a message that you're just not eating right, you know? It, you know, it could be a lot or that you, you had trauma or your brain chemistry screwed up. You're certainly out of balance. But a person going through Kundalini will not look like, for example, a schizophrenic. They will look like a really ordinary person who doesn't understand what's happening to them. And right. they'll be able to articulate it uh, in a way 
that has warmth in it. They, they, they're not, they don't typically get cold. They, they're still warm and connected, at least in my experience. Well, so let's talk about awakening the sleeping serpent. <laughs> serpent. That was almost sermon and... <clears throat> well, yeah, yeah, there, there is that there. religious thing, you know. Well, it's said to occur by various methods. There's some tools that you can use to awaken your kundalini from its crouched position. Uh, many systems of yoga focus on awakening it through meditation, uh, pranayama, which is a type of uh, breathing sort of analogous to uh, holotropic breath work, uh, the practice of asanas, um, which are particular poses and usually yoga um, or subtypes of yoga. And, and actually chanting, we've talked about mantras on here before, They're, they can be a powerful resonant tool to help awaken the coiled serpent. Um, and when that happens, when it starts to move, it's interesting that people describe a very similar phenomenon. It feels like an electric current running along their spine, um, sometimes linearly, sometimes coiling, much like the the uh, artist interpretations are but definitely a sense of of electricity or electric current moving along the uh, spine and that's seen as a latent innate spiritual power that's kind of you know it's always there you're just actually feeding it for that moment and awakening it it's conjuring it if you will well you know if you if you cut into the body you're not going to find these energy channels and nadis they call them yeah, we're and we're not going to find meridians or chi either. Yeah, you're not going to find those either. Um, so these these are energetic uh, ideas and energetic forces. Uh, there are three paths that the energy can take, and they can take all three. You know, it, it's about how what the um, what the higher intelligence. In, in my opinion, it's a higher intelligence that directs this because I'm sure it's not the guy who's doing it. They're called the Ida, the Pingala, and the Shashuma, and I hope I'm pronouncing them correctly. The Ida is, uh, is the, um, comes through the left nostril and it goes to the right hemisphere. And it's feminine energy, it's connected to the moon, uh, emotion, and, and the central nervous system. Uh, it's also seen as Shiva. The Pingala is uh, Shakti energy and it's red. Uh, it's hot and it's connected to the sun and it's about vitality, strength, the physical body, um, pragmatic life. And it goes through the right nostril into the left hemisphere, which makes a certain amount of sense based on what we know about, you know, brain behavior kinds of things. The, the middle channel is called the Shushuma. And I, once again, I hope I pronounce it right. That's the one, it's about balance, tranquility, and in a, a hidden ability to be psychic. And it is the awakened energy um, that connects you to the, to the infinite. Um, that's the pleasant energy. And once all of the, the um, blocks, whether they're mental, emotional, or physical are dealt with, somebody who's, who experiences the Kundalini will get to a very pleasant state that they can access all the time. That's what Gopi Krishna called about, taught, wrote about. There's uh, also very often a spiritual transformation in terms of what's important. Uh, Gopi right. Krishna 
I love this. Uh, Gopi Krishna, when he when he kind of completed the transformation and there were no more thunderstorms, you know, he described them as mental thunderstorms when he um, encounter, you know, some of the stuck places. He was the first man in India to champion women's rights. And this is was a direct outcome of his Kundalini experience. And I, I think that's like the coolest thing because the idea that we transform spiritually is that we do something good with it in the world. You yeah. know, so, you know, okay, you're on top of a mountain and you're meditating, you know, and, and God blesses you. And I think that's terrific. And you, you know, but if you don't do anything with it, that helps people to me, what's the point? Yeah. So this, so this evolutionary energy is really, really something profound. And especially when you consider where we are as a culture, the low level of interactive process and the need for a higher interaction. Uh, we, you and I and other uh, psych, psychiatrists and psychologists and other psychotherapists, we're gonna be seeing more of this because of the stress levels that are so high in our culture. And some of the things that are gonna come out of this uh, post, well, maybe they'll never be, but a I'm gonna call it a post COVID age where people are dealing with the aftermath psychologically of living in, in this stress ball for a year or two yeah, years. Yeah, we're, we're already seeing it. Yeah, and I, but I think we're gonna see this as well, especially with, the, with increases in drug use and other kinds of you know, uh, really dangerous behavior. And in fact, there was one guy that I saw and he actually knew about this. And he, he came into me and he said, you know, this is a spiritual emergence. And, you know, and, and then I talked to his family, said, oh, well, he has manic depression. You know, he, <laughs> he, he, uh, he goes through this every so often. He's off his meds now. Well, it was, I had an interesting conversation with this man because when they found him lying in the street naked and they took him off to the hospital, I said, listen, man, you can take your antidepressant meds, but keep your spiritual life. Yeah. You know, these are not mutually exclusive things. Well, you know what William Williams said, our token dead white guy of the day. Of the day. Uh, yes. Um, that, that he feels like Kundalini is a religious experience, which is held to be kind of a cosmic energy. And those are his words. Um, not so much the energy life force but this cosmic energy um, that we're, you know, makes me think we're made of stardust, both, you know, physically and then uh, spiritually as well. You know, there's this cosmic flow. Um, and you know, when, when you talk to people who kind of are at the other side of it, and I've talked to a few of them at, at risk of sounding really simplistic, they're just really nice people. Yeah. You know, things don't bother them the same. Um, yeah. They have a sense of meaning and, and spirit. Spirituality becomes the most important thing, which is, I guess, kind of how it should be. I always say that they have a certain countenance about yeah, them. Beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly what I what I see. Well, Equanimity. so yeah. let's raise Kundalini some more, because if we realize this is its lowest state is to kind of stay hidden because the human it's trying to inhabit is 
blocking it at every turn with all of his life choices um that it moves up through the chakras as well and that different levels of awakening uh and the mystical experience along uh, uh, with each chakra each level is different and it finally reaches the top of the head or the crown chakra i guess we would most contemporarily uh, refer to it as uh, although the in hindu it would be the sahas sahasra sahasra I don't know. To me, it was always Back a crown chakra. On yeah. oh, well, you got you know, for for our viewers that don't know, uh, chakras are spinning energy centers in the body. And once again, you cut into the body, you're not going to find them. I have a. I think I have a nice. Uh, I think I have a nice video there. Uh, let me work on. At least while we're having this this conversation, we can say, "Aha!" Let's see what we got here. Well, well, well. Oh, here we go. All right. So Sahasraha is up top. It's sort of that crown chakra. And as you can see towards the bottom, we've got the uh, Kundalini coiled at the coccyx at the base and the various chakras along the way. Um, well, you know, if you, if you look at the structure of it, it it's really beautiful. And my, I, I've thought a lot about chakras and, and I've talked about them in the past. You have at, at your base, at the bottom, you have survival. Mm-hmm. Then you have generativity. Why they say save your ass. So, exactly. Then you have generativity, you know, uh, reproduction. But anything creative is going to come out of that second chakra. The third chakra is in the gut. That's passion. And I'm going to simplify it. The fourth chakra is in the heart. That's compassion. Then you have the throat, which is communication. You got the third eye, intuition, and then you got the crown, which is God realization. And you think about, you know, people. It's a beautiful model for being a human being. Mm-hmm. I I really like it a lot, and I, I've used it with people more symbolically because you know I, I'm not the uh, I've worked with energy workers who know this stuff and they work with the chakras, but uh, I'm that's not something I know how to do. But I know the model. I think it's a beautiful model. Well, the prana is what they refer to when they're describing the life energy responsible for um, life really everywhere on this planet, terrestrial life, life on other planets, anywhere life is inhabited with that certain je ne sais quoi that makes us more than the sum of our parts. Uh, the Hindus would refer to as prana. Um, or awakened life energy. Uh, yeah, Yogananda called it universal current. Universal I like, I like current, that. I like that. I like that, yeah. You know, and, and I, want, I want our viewers to be aware that when we talk about non-ordinary mind, which is our goal is to inspire you to do some homework on this if it's important to you. You know, we, we come across all these things that we find fascinating, we want to share. You could talk about Kundalini for months and and not um, not be finished. You could talk about it. People study it their whole lives, but we just want I, we want you to to get interested, and maybe this will explain some things to you in in your life. So we're going down every rabbit hole we can find, and I, I personally find this to be a very very valuable um, piece because it's about spiritual emergence 
but we don't want it to be an emergency. Exactly. But that, but that's what it looks like, you know, to well, the untrained, to somebody who doesn't know about this, you can't tell the difference between this and a psychotic break. Yeah, and I, wonder, I wonder, Mark, you know, there's, um, there is a diagnosis, brief psychotic episode. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's what this is. It could be. What people it could be in many diagnosing. cases. That's the closest DSM equivalent I can think of it. But basically, awakened life energy is the mother of morality. So I would argue someone who's amoral has a sleep energy. You know, it, it, it needs to be awakened. And when, you know, we talked a little bit about how to awaken it, but traditionally like we are in india people people go who are seeking this more level of truth and and raising their energy and vibrations they visit ashrams uh they awaken dormant energy that's been there their whole life maybe they've never raised that vibration and they do it through meditation and mantra and chanting and, and some spiritual studies and the asanas and even you know you used to do a lot of kundalini yoga uh well, i did ashtanga kali does uh Kundalini. Oh, I thought you did Kundalini there too. I what? did it for a little while. I found the uh, Ashtanga resonated more with me. Um, but the Kundalini yoga is great stuff. I mean, it, it's fascinating and um, it's a beautiful uh, yoga actually. has a lot of chanting, um, different kinds of, they use mudras, hand movements. Uh, you know, they use asana, which are the poses. Um, it's also about the study of how how the mind works beautiful stuff i got another slide here that um i think will go along with uh what we're talking about basically this is us we're ordinary we're stuck in our head the kundalini is down at the base of the spine lonely low energy slothy and through interventions whether that's hatha or kundalini yoga you this this kundalini this coiled energy serpent which actually really kind of has three different arms which i'm going to let you explain in a second but it 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 goes up and we're looking to unblock the uh the the things that inhibit i guess it's it's growth it's raised energy level um and you know, if you had a yogi doing this, they they actually want to reverse what's going on in the left here in the ordinary man, because, you know, that, that's this this value on intelligence and ego and and they want to reverse those sort of searchlights and um, turn the mind and life force inward through kind of a secret astral passageway, the coiled way of the Kundalini which again, sits at the coccygeal plexus, which is really much our tailbone all the way down um, and upward through sacral and then through the lumbar and the higher dorsal and the cervical medullary plexuses, or we could talk, uh, like you were saying before, the chakras. And then through the spiritual eye, the third eye to the point between the eyebrows we've talked about in the show before to finally reveal the soul's presence to the individual in the highest center of the brain. So I don't know that that's nirvana. I think it's a level of sentience that we're, uh, we're all hoping for and achieving for if, if we're doing this type of practice. Um, I think it depends you know, on some of your definitions. What I've seen with people, yes, they have these really high moments, but that's not the goal. 
the goal is a mindful life you know where yeah. where you're you know you have it was described um to me as like having a very very mild orgasm that's there all the time yeah you know it, just a real pleasant feeling in your body energy flowing um and there do seem to be higher awarenesses of you know connectedness to to other beings like i said before gopi krishna was speaking other languages um if you read the reports people find all kinds of talents they didn't have before um who knows what this you know what the potentials are but i think the potentials are very great for healing now why does this happen to one person and not to another i don't know i really well, don't know what you were just touching on i think worth is worth revisiting because this is something i think people need we see a lot of this and some of our other um practitioners see this as well and i don't know if it's because we're looking or if they all see it and the ones who aren't looking write it off as psychotic but certainly I this think, is something yeah. based on the what a current mental health uh system people are afraid to bring up to their practitioners and their practitioners certainly aren't trained or well versed in this so they assume by default <laughs> it's psychotic but the differentiation between a spiritual emergency associated with kundalini like what you were talking about before is frequently viewed as an acute psychotic episode and psychiatrists will because they're not conversant with this culture will put antipsychotics on them maybe lock them up certainly give them a diagnosis that isn't appropriate and you know your mention about a brief psychotic episode i would have to look when they added that to the dsm rubric but i want to <laughs> say it was in four was the first time that it appeared because it didn't fit anything else and they didn't really know what to do with it so it's kind of like yeah that person went a little little a little haywire but it's temporary and we don't know what yeah, they, they came away. back you know right it can't be that big of a deal yeah, Just you know the, one of one of my big cause celebs has to do with that somebody with, who's in a i'm going to call it a real psychotic process i don't know what else to call it very odd behaviorally and their interactions are odd whereas somebody who's going through a kundalini experience will have very normal interactions except the things they're talking about are nuts you know because with a schizophrenic like i said it's if you look them in the eye you're gonna they're not going to be able to do that and they're going to be very odd in the way that they interact whereas somebody with kundalini they're going to go I don't know what's happening to me. Yeah. I'm having these very bizarre experiences. Uh, sometimes it's it's the spine is ice cold or red hot. Um so well, you know, they must be having going a woman going into menopause or something. But no, it's 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 a different feeling and you give somebody psychotic uh you know, an antipsychotic you can control a lot of the psychotic thinking, you know, hallucinations, delusions, etc. But you don't control the odd behavior. To me, that's the tell. Yeah, that it's, is a, a distinct tell. And, and and most and and most people who don't know about the spiritual emergence stuff, um, they're not going to look for that. The only reason that that that. I wound up finding it was because I knew my friend was not psychotic. 
and she, you know, and her description of what was going on, the what was going on was crazy, but her descriptions were completely sane. Right, exactly. I want to compare and contrast it with Chi, though, too, because these are two ancient cultures, ancient, ancient, ancient. And, you know, we were prepping for the show. I think the, the Hindu belief or, or the first reference in the Hindu literature about uh, Kundalini was about 6,000 years. Oh, no, wait a minute. It would have been six centuries. So six, let's say 600 BCE. And that's a long time ago. Of course, the Chinese, it's even further. It goes thousands, this concept of the qi. Um, in Chinese culture, I think most people have heard of qi, but just to remind people, it's the vital life force that form, uh, forms any part of any living entity. And that, in, in that way, it's analogous to the prana that we were just talking about in, uh, in the Hindu faith. And chi, which is usually spelled Q-I, but they spell it C-H-I, so we can kind of correctly pronounce, um, translates literally as air um, and figuratively as material energy. So it's kind of like a life force, energy flow, ether, the animus, the, uh, and then the practice of, of cultivating and balancing and restoring chi is qigong. Uh, it's really integral part uh, to know how to do this to, for, for all martial arts, for, for acupuncture. It's the basis of acupuncture and, and chakras, uh, acupressure, even the craniosacral work. Um, and I do have a nice little uh, um, slide here for us uh, on, on the chakras specifically. But what do you, what's your experience with, with chakras and, and chi and acupuncture and all this good stuff? Oh, well, I, I love acupuncture. Uh, to me, acupuncture is, is brilliant. And my experience of acupuncture, number one, is it puts me in a very altered state. I've found that it activates my body's own ability to heal. And um, I love it. Uh, I, would, I would go you know, every, every couple of days if I had the availability. Um, Let's see if I can do this without wrecking everything. Okay, yeah, there we go. You know, and and it's funny because you talked about uh, prana and and chi. My old yoga teacher, rest in peace. He um, he would talk repeatedly about wanting to have more prana moving through. That that was why we we breathe, we would breathe the way we breathe in in Ashtanga. Uh, that it had to do with moving the prana or at some point, you know, containing the prana so it would cook out the impurities. Um, it made perfect sense to me. And, and this is, you know, very well established. Um, you can reduce this back, back to even, um, you know, more um, detailed, I guess, diagrams. Uh, which I find fascinating when, when, you know, when you're associating the pancreas with the pinky and, and all the different teeth have, have their own meridians and energetic flow. To me, that's really fascinating that it's been mapped out and agreed upon by the Chinese for thousands of years. Uh, well, well, I think one of the things that's so important about the meridians, which are once again, energy channels, Mm -hmm. uh, major energy channels in the body was that the 
the meridians connect to organs and organ systems, but that they reflect certain emotions. Yeah. And that the way towards physical healing was dealing with the emotions connected to, I mean, it's a true mind-body medicine. It's the a mechanism, really of mind body medicine, which I like. Look at this one. This is what I was talking about it being a little bit more detailed. And even this, you can get a super detailed one of just the mouth or the head. You frequently see the head uh, being integral and meridians connecting all over the body. But this is just kind of an idea to show that these uh, meridians or these energy paths um, correlate to whether that's lung or large intestine on down the list there. And this is part of the training that an acupuncturist gets, is it not? Right. So that they know how to not only identify areas of low energy or blocked energy or how to, uh, more importantly, how to, how to open up that blockage and sort of facilitate, facilitate that energetic impasse and, and restore the natural energetic order of the body. Um, wish I could go back to my last slide because one of the things about that that I think is kind of interesting is that it shows um, uh, a certain balance of, of the chakras and that's almost never the case. In other words, some people have really, really, really strong heart chakras or crown chakras, <laughs> but really weak you know, throat chakras. And sure enough, you do see that person commonly having problems expressing themselves, making their needs known. And so energy workers, a lot of times can use this to really hone in on where um, there's major blockage, because it's a big deal if a whole chakras is not kind of uh, operating at full power, if you will. And the, the last picture that I showed was showing both meridians and auras because auras are slightly different and that they're more electromagnetic spiritual energy, whereas chi is actually the life force. So maybe- well, you know, we're, we're dealing force. with this from a Western perspective. Right. You know, my, my bet is this is all like a big puzzle that you know, that kind of fits together, depending on how you're describing it. And, you know, I just want, uh, I want people to know that, th that this is magnificent stuff. The whole, you know, my, when I look at, at the, the effects of Kundalini, the process of Kundalini, mm -hmm. my experience with acupuncture and some of my patients' experiences, um, it's, it's really quite beautiful. And, and people are scared of it. You know, Western, Western, Westerners are scared of acupuncture. You know, what the hell is that? You stick it in the, I have people, I'm afraid of needles. You know, I said, it's, it's about as big as a hair, you know, it's not that, not that big a needle, you know? Yeah. And, and I had an acupuncture physician describe it beautifully. He said, I'm putting an antenna in you so you can connect with the energy all around you. You know, that's, I really like that idea. And I'm I could like feel energy it. sink. Yeah. I, and, and we're going to balance your energy with the energies all around you. Then he put one in the middle of my skull. And I said, is this the one where I get HBO? I mean, uh, you know. Did you? 
Uh, no, I didn't. But I would say that, at least, that when I, I spoke uh, several shows ago about the um, experience of meeting my, my cousin who had died, that was, I was uh, having acupuncture at that moment. And I think that that opened me um, emotionally, mentally in a certain way to go into that space where I would be receptive to not to non-ordinary mind and that's the critical thing i hear people miss all the time like well okay he sees ghosts how come i can't and it's like the you have to be in an energetic receptive place to even catch that frequency and then you know be tuned in to that and whether we're talking and all we've talked about multiple cultures they can all raise their energy and vibration and restore the natural flow and order and and bring kundalini up to get that level of cosmic wisdom and and then it passed through into the material wor world and we see these changes that's what's so profound about it sort of like the near-death experience we can argue this all day whether it's veridical proof of afterlife or not what you no one argues with is the changes that come as, as a result of this work and these experiences so major cool stuff well it's all, the, this is why we do the show it's because we find all this major cool stuff. It's fascinating. It's inspiring. And people are afraid of it. Yeah. We don't, we don't want you to be afraid of it. We want you to respect that it's powerful. You know, be educated, know that these things are not necessarily uh, illnesses. Don't be afraid. Educate. And work with a practitioner, whether that's a yogi or a body therapist or someone familiar with this type of work and energy and how to manipulate it, identify it, treat it. Uh, you know, in, in Groff's book, um, he, he has something called the Spiritual Information Network. I, I think it was Spiritual Emergence Network. S-I-N probably wouldn't be the best way. It's, so it's S-E-N. Um, and it has to do with, you know, with, with uh, ha finding a, a therapist that is aware of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, because we assume that everyone is trained equally. You know, that's uh, one of the big fallacies of our system nowadays. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, but the other side of that is there are people who are wishing that, for example, that their kids are not psychotic and well, maybe it's a spiritual event or, or you know something else which we've got a couple right now that yeah yeah it's and and i don't really like to uh categorize one thing or another i just say yeah. look we want your child or whomever healthy happy and productive is what we're shooting for and i don't have to be politically correct well let's have uh, our viewers join us next week then that's a good good place to bookmark it for the day and uh, look forward to next week. Any other thoughts, comments? No, I'm, I'm just really in, enjoying uh, these discussions with you. And uh, I hope our viewers will, uh, will ask some questions and send us ideas of things they want us to investigate and talk about, you know, to just shed, uh, shine a little light on these non-ordinary uh, mind events. Most definitely. And with and, that in mind. Yeah. Until then. One, two, three. Be, be well. well. Why do we have to say be well so slow? I can just say be well. Hey, be well. All right. 
I'm will. well. Will you, will you be well already? I'm done. See ya. <laughs>